Hey everybody. everybody. (laughs) (laughs) We're so good at this. Hey everybody, I'm Daniel. And I'm Frankie. And welcome to Propagated Podcast. I keep expecting to hear the theme music. Because I've been listening to it and editing so much that I'm like, wait a minute, where is wait, it? Wait, where Why is it? it? Why is this right not... now? I need this to be happening. Otherwise, this is real. <laughs> How am I supposed to get in the podcasting mood without it? <laughs> oh, God. I just want everybody to know that it is ungodly hot in the South right now. And I had to cut all my AC off and sit in the closet to try and oh, record same. this for y'all. So oh my gosh. be thankful. Oh, the things we do. <laughs> Yeah, it's ooh, it was 91 degrees inside the house Oof. yesterday, but I brought in an AC unit so that I can just pump some air quickly. <laughs> pump, pump some air quickly before we record. So <laughs> I was blasting the AC. So right now it's good, but I know in about 10 minutes it's gonna be real hot again. Uh, so hi, hi Daniel, hi, how are you? I know I saw you like two hours ago. We went for a plant date, but yeah, it's great. Plant dates are amazing. I'm good. I'm good. I don't even know what to say. I've just been you good. You seem good. You been... seem good. You seem refreshed. Yeah, I mean, quarantine is a lot, but it's weird to have not worked for five months, but I'm getting past it, and I've practically just treated it like a vacation, so it's almost been like a nice mental health holiday for me, which is good. Yeah. I think that's so necessary. Now, if only I could have five months off every year. It'd be great. Yeah. To get really <laughs> used to it. Has it really been five months already? Not quite, but it will be by the oh time I start God. back. Oh my God. Time is so weird. So weird. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I It's been a while since we recorded because I had very many technical difficulties and I was working on a 10-year-old computer, which died. <laughs> like, no shit. It's 10 years old. <laughs> but you're not anymore. So I'm not kudos anymore. for that. You know, it's always great to get some new shit. Totally. I do have to learn an entirely new editing software, but that's fun for me. So I'm happy about that. I'm glad. So glad you enjoy that because I want no part of it. <laughs> well, I'm going to make you learn it at some point. You're going to love it. It's more visual than you think, for sure. Well, I'll probably like it if it's visual. To me, it just seems like a amalgam of noise in, the, in your head. Yeah, but it's our noise. <laughs> but it's our noise. I can't tell you how many times I've been editing and just like losing my shit laughing. And We are pretty fucking funny. That's just fact. I think so. We've been getting good reviews. So thank you, everybody. We appreciate you. Oh, yeah. Thanks, you. guys. Thank you. All right. Do you want me to go first? If you want to. I don't care. I'm down for whatever. I feel like I like having the odd numbered episodes. Oh, this is an odd number. Send it. Give it. Episode five. All right. Woo. Okay. Danielle and I talked about it, about what we wanted to do next for our little, like, you know, next couple episodes, and we both are obsessed and love epiphytes. So we're going to have a little epiphyte sesh. Growing on trees, baby. Love it. So I will talk a little bit about what epiphytes are, but I'm going to start with my particular subject matter of the day, which is Spanish moss. Yas. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Sorry. <laughs> I felt like I needed audience noises in that. I feel like I feel like if if in post, if you can just like edit in some fanfare right there, it would be fantastic. 
<laughs> I'm into it. I gotta get more experimental in post. That'll be fun to put in. But like plants don't really have sound effects, unfortunately. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> this is the sound of a plant growing. On a weird side note, did you ever hear like the audio of the guy who took like old ass trees and cut the rings down and pressed them into vinyl? Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, that was so cool, that. right? That was so awesome. So you could add, like, yeah. plants do have sound effects. They're just slower than us. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll find something. <laughs> all right. So Spanish moss, shout out to Ologies. Do you listen to Ologies at all? I don't, but I will now. It is a fantastic podcast. One of my favorites that kind of inspired my love of podcasts about uh, she interviews experts in their field. So one of their latest episodes was on bryology, which is the study of moss. And it was like the most beautiful episode. The lady they had on was the expert. She wrote Gathering Moss and, um, or um, yeah, Gathering Moss and Gathering Sweet Grass. And she just has the most lovely, calming voice. And I was listening to it. And the host at one point goes, yeah, Spanish moss. It's neither Spanish nor moss. And I was like, okay, wait, hold up. Tell me more. And they didn't tell me more. So I was like, this is my episode. <laughs> I need to know. I need to know. Why is it neither know. Spanish nor moss? What do you mean by that? <laughs> so I'm going to tell you today. Into it. All right. I'm going to start out with its Latin name and it is very difficult. I researched multiple ways to pronounce it and none of them were the same. So I'm going to go with what I think is right. It is Tillandsia usnioides, 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 Tillandsia usnioides. Usnioides? Usnioides. I like it. I, I don't even care yeah. how it's said. I know. It's kind of a fun word. I have Spanish moss in my room and it's one of my favorite plants because it's cute as fuck. It is. It's so cute. So it is neither moss nor Spanish. Like I said, it is actually a bromeliad. It's in the family of bromeliaceae. Bromeliaceae? Bromeliaceae? Bromeliaceae. That's not I don't know. Right. I just think it's really cute to hear you try that many times in a row. It's like perfect. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, it. maybe one of them will be right and I can cut out everything else in post, but I say it so fast that I can't actually cut it out in post. <laughs> oh, God. But, fun fact, it's in the same taxonomic family as pineapples and succulents. What? Yeah, isn't that cool? What? Yeah. That's wrong. I don't know if I like that or not. Well, when they tell you more, I think you'll like it by the end. I, I think you will because it's really cool how it gets nutrients and stuff. But anyways, so it's native to Mexico, Central America, South America, the Caribbean, and the humid South. Dude, the thing I was reading said the moist South and I was like, ugh. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's where I'm at right just, now and that's why I got an air conditioning <laughs> unit. <laughs> It is getting moist up in this closet. So. It, is, it is definitely moist south right here. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyways, Too much. so Too much. the humid south from Texas to Virginia. Its preferred habitat is healthy trees, tropical swampland, and it prefers to live on live oaks and bald cypress, although it will live on any tree as long as it's the right conditions. Each individual plant... The plant itself is only six, it is up to six centimeters long and one millimeter wide. So it's a teeny tiny baby, like no bigger than your finger. And what makes them, you know, you see these huge swaths on trees, um, but that's just tiny little individual plants clinging to each other and making these big mossy beards. 
Oh, they're like best friends. I love that. Yeah, BFFs. So if you've never seen Spanish moss, because I know I really hadn't until I moved to the South and went on a vacation in um, Savannah, Georgia, basically it's like these gray, sometimes green, drippy, lichen kind of looking, beardy. It kind of looks like hair, like just dripping from trees, and it's really pretty. No, it's like one of my favorite looks of like, I mean, fuck the old South realistically, but... If you're looking at, like, giant old southern oak trees, I think it's beautiful to see this, like, awesome, this almost, like, natural drapery around these trees. And it's just so pretty because it's got this, like, silver gray color. And I know that probably some of you guys won't listen to this until later on, but if you look at our Instagram, we'll post a picture later of what all of these flowers look like that we're about to talk about, flowers Mm -hmm. and plants that we're talking about today, but... And that's at Propagated Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Big facts. It's important, right? You got to tell them where to go, not just that we're on Instagram. Yeah, we're on Instagram. Find us if you're cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed um, to be a struggle because I'm hip like that. Yeah. Frankie, come on. We're the, we're the hippest podcast in town. Just kidding. And me over here, I'm like, fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Just imagine I'm pushing up my glasses every time I say fun fact. Into it. But also because I'm sweating a lot. (laughs) The namesake comes from Native Americans, and I looked everywhere to find out what tribe it was, but nowhere. I could not find this information. I looked a long time, but um, the Native Americans called it the Itla Okla, which basically means tree hair. Um, It came from a story. Here's a little folklore for your sweet, sweet ears. It came from a story where a native princess had passed away, and her husband buried her under a giant live tree. And wanting to remember her and not put all of her underground, he hung her hair in the tree. And as time went by, it turned gray and then green, and it spread to other trees. So that's why it's called tree hair. That's like... Super cute, but also incredibly <laughs> macabre. Like, I'm, yeah, I love my it. favorite kind of things. That's literally it, my entire like, aesthetic. It's like, <laughs> how can you be that loving and sweet and cute and also like, fuck, that's kind of fucking creepy. Like, what are you doing with yourself? <laughs> like, just keep your keep your hair in my tree for a little while. It's gonna go through all the stages until it becomes a fucking plant. Fucking creepy. That's a lot. But will you please do that to me when I die? I want to become a plant. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I can't promise that yet. I can't promise that yet. (laughs) Oh, that was classic. All right. Anyways, so then how it got from tree hair to Spanish moss was these French explorers came and the Native Americans were like, oh yeah, it's La Okla, the tree hair. And the French explorers were like, hmm, that reminds us of the Spanish conquistadors and their long beards. So we're going to call it Barbe Espanol, which means Spanish beard. Imagine that another tragic imperialistic idea taken hold. <laughs> so great. Yeah, this is mine now. <laughs> The Spanish heard that and were like, no, we're going to call it Caballo Frances, which means French hair. But they lost and it remained Spanish beard and Spanish moss. I love that. All right. 
I have another creepy folklore story for you. Why do you always have so much? Why can't I find cool folklore about my stuff? I have one folklore story. That's it. <laughs> my entire library of hard copy books is just folklore. I And every time I pick a subject, I just look through all of them to see if it's in there. <laughs> it's, it's my favorite. It's what I love. So this is the story of Gora's Gauze. Gora's Gauze was you a bearded Spaniard. Right now. I'm sorry, that was really awkward. Oh, I was like, what are you talking about? You're talking about Juno. But <laughs> His you dog could, like, see the, uh, like, You could hear it on the recording that she was licking my leg, and I didn't even think <laughs> how, they, how you could hear me saying that. It was the whole thing. You can't I'm lick sorry. me right now. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Let me get back into it. This is very serious. So this is the story of Gorez Gauze. A bearded Spaniard brute. Gora's gauze bought a Native American maiden for a yard of braid and a bar of soap. But the sight of him frightened her so much that she quickly ran away from him. She was like, nah, fuck no, dude, gross. Gora's gauze chased behind, eventually following her to the top of a tree. The maiden quickly dove into the water and escaped. But Gora's Gauze's long beard became tangled in the branches of the low country tree. Hopelessly tangled, he died there, but we still see remnants of his beard tangled in the low country trees. Cute. <laughs> Less cute than the last one, but I kind of like that, like, this dude who was trying to, like, buy this young girl just got tangled in a tree and died. I mean, but it makes me like Spanish moss less. That's why it's cute, because a piece of shit died. Oh. <laughs> that's cute as fuck. Yes. In All my right. opinion, into, that's, into like, yeah. that's like that's hardcore cute. That's the definition cute. of cute. <laughs> I'm all about a fucking piece of shit dying. I think that's cute as fuck. I don't wish death on anyone, but if you're chasing after a young girl that you bought and you get tangled in a tree and die, I mean, oh, he had it coming. He had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my new goal is to just sing in every episode and... Then eventually we'll never have listeners. <laughs> I love that for you. My goal <laughs> is implicitly to never sing in any episode because I appreciate the few listeners we have right now. Well, I hate to break it to you, though, but you sang a country song in one of the last episodes. I'm sure I did. Fucking <laughs> alcohol, dude. I swear I get a little tipsy in every one of these episodes. And by the end of the episode, I'm doing shit I said I never would. It's fine. It's great. I love it. It's so amazing. All right. Let's talk about epiphytes a little bit. So epiphytes are uh, plants that live on another plant, but they're not parasitic. They don't throw down roots. They don't take nutrients from the other plant. So this is stuff like bromeliads and ferns and air plants and orchids and, and such and stuff like that. Most orchids. Most orchids. There yeah. are orchids that are not epiphytic. It's classified by the fact that it doesn't take nutrients from the plant that it is living on. So Spanish moss is an epiphyte because it takes nutrients from elsewhere. It just lives on the tree. So Spanish moss thrives on fog and sunlight and airborne or waterborne dust and debris. The surface of the plant is covered in these tiny little gray scales that trap water until the plant can absorb it. The plant's tissue can hold more water than it needs. So basically, you know, you've seen Spanish moss from colors to gray 
all the way to green. So when it has more water than it needs, it's plump and it is green. So after like a rainfall or something like that, but then as it uses up that water, it turns back to gray. Did you know that Spanish moss have seeds too? I didn't even know they flowered. Yeah, they Honestly. flower and they have seeds. The seeds are kind of similar to dandelions where they have these little feathery appendages that help them float through the air and catch on trees, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but even though they flower and they seed, they're more likely to spread by propagation. <laughs> Name of the podcast. A propagated podcast. How perfect. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. It was terrible. Woohoo! I love I love it when they say the name of the thing in the thing. <laughs> um, they're more likely to spread by propagation. Basically, these little fragmented pieces of the plant called festoons, which I think is a fun name, festoons. These little festoons break off and are transported and create new plants sometimes. Like, for instance, one of the most likely scenarios is that a bird will grab a little bit of Spanish moss and weave it into its nest. And if the conditions are good, that little bit of propagated plant will grow a whole plant off of it. So the uses of Spanish moss. Spanish moss has had a lot of uses in history. Um, it was kind of tried to be used as livestock feed, but the problem with Spanish moss is it doesn't hold a lot of nutrients. So it doesn't really work so well as feed filler. Um, what it does work well as, uh, the Native Americans used to use it for fiber. They would basically, through the process of taking bundles of Spanish moss and putting them in shallow ponds, the outside coating would rot off and the inside would just be the fibrous material that they would use as fiber, rope, fabric, bedding, blankets, mats, they would use it to scrub pots, that kind of stuff. Um, also, they would mix those fibers with mud to make mortar in houses, and some of these houses are still standing to this day. So crazy. Mm-hmm. It's also used as garden mulch because it holds a lot of moisture. Um, but the cool, I think, I think one of the coolest uses is that it's used as tinder, and they used to use it for fire arrows. Fire arrows. Yeah, they would uh, light the lichen on the tip of the arrow, and it would be fire arrows. What the fuck? I love that. That's dope. That's so cool. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Um, Industrial-wise, it was actually used industrially for a while in the 1970s, pre-synthetic filler. Um, it was harvested and cured, and those inside filaments that I was talking about was used in, like, upholstery in cars, in furniture, in mattresses. So if you have some furniture from the 1970s, it might be filled with Spanish moss. That's so cool. Who knew? That? Who knew? Who, yeah, knew? who knew? I didn't before today. <laughs> <laughs> Spanish moss is incredibly important for biodiversity. Um, the large mats of the Spanish moss house a huge variety of insects, of birds. There's three species of bats that live in it, frogs, lizards, snakes, and all kinds of stuff. The yellow-throated warblers make nests inside of the moss during the spring and the summer. And there's even one little type of spider named Pellegrina talansia, named after the plant because it only lives in Spanish moss. That's so cute. Pellegrina? Yeah. 
Yeah, Pellegrina Talansia. That's so cute. I want to, I'm like going to have to look up a picture of the spider because that just sounds yeah. like a fucking cutie. <laughs> I love spiders. Um, yeah, so Spanish moss is great for biodiversity and contrasting to pretty much everything else we've talked about, it's fine. I mean, as fine as fine can be during climate change as a plant, it's doing well, it's thriving. It doesn't have any evil things coming for it. It's not genetically exhausted. It's just living life and doing well. So, yay. Cool. That's all I have on Spanish moss. Beautiful. It was an awesome little segment. Mine is not going to be nearly as interesting. Oh, stop. It always is. I did more of a kind of broad, generalized segment on orchids for you guys today. So I have a lot of information in here. Literally, orchids are wild because you could talk about them for days on days on days because there's so many different kinds. Realistically, I'm going to be talking about mostly a few of the different kinds that you have that you can like grow in your home and what their names are. And then I have like some fun facts about orchids. And then I have one anecdotal story about orchids that I think are really fun. And it's about one of my favorite orchids. But anyways, like I said, today we're talking about literally one of the most prolific flowering plants to ever exist. And that's the orchid. The only species of flowering plant that has more diversity than the orchid are actually sunflowers. Surprisingly enough, sunflowers have an obscene amount of diversity. Wait, really? Just to give you a little cross-section, for orchid species, for different types of orchid species, there are over 25,000 different kinds of orchid species in the world. Whoa. There are more than that of sunflowers, just so no you know. No way. Just so no you know. Way. I, was I don't know if blown, I can believe you. I was blown That's away. Amazing. I was blown I'm away. I'm like, I can think of like two. I'm like chocolate, teddy bear, regular. Because <laughs> <laughs> literally my whole bit like coming into this was like, my first thing that I'm going to say is that orchids are the most diverse flowering species in the world. And, Google and then was like, I Googled it and it was like, nah, bitch, sunflowers are better than you. Get out here. Like, <laughs> what even? Aww. Anyways, sunflowers, sunflowers dope. We'll do, I'm, I intend to do an episode on sunflowers now because I just think that's wild. But anyways, there's, there's anywhere from 20 to 25,000 different species of orchids around the world. And they literally grow on every single continent, excluding Antarctica. Wow. Antarctica is the only exception. Every other continent has orchids of some kind. I didn't know that. That's so Yeah, people cool. always think that orchids are like exclusively these like beautiful tropical plants. But if we yeah. went on a hike tomorrow, I could show you orchids that grow here. It's crazy. <gasps> Let's do it. Because there, there are several very common ones in Western North Carolina, especially. But anywhere in the U.S., you can find some kind of local orchid near you. Uh, and that's true the world over. And I think it's really cool because scientists have decided or theorized, I suppose is the better word, that orchids are actually one of the oldest families of flowering plants. And the reason they think that is because they're found literally everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I think that these like prehistoric types of orchids existed prior to the continent separating. So like during Pangea... Uh-huh. There were orchids, and that's, like, how they all got so specialized is because they kind of got 
broken apart and now we have like all these different kinds of orchids because they got scattered to the four ends of the world you know like crazy shit oh cool also another really random cool fact while we're talking about the absolute magnanimity of orchids and how fucking many there are there are more orchids on the planet than mammals and birds what yes i'm telling you orchids are absolutely obscene it's crazy absolutely crazy that is so cool it's absolutely (gasps) crazy and literally they range from everything the smallest orchid recorded to date because there are probably there are plenty of orchids that we don't know anything about yet but the smallest one that is currently discovered is the size of a dime. Oh, oh, oh! Stop. So tiny, tiny, oh, tiny. Baby. And then they literally, the largest of the orchids we know about weigh several hundred pounds. Like no big way. boys, like massive, Human massive, sized. massive, <laughs> crazy. I mean, I could talk about fun facts about orchids all day because it's just, they're so crazy. I mean... An entire fun fact episode. (laughs) I mean, I could do it. If you really, if you challenged me, I could probably, I still have like 15 fun facts I've not even hit yet. But uh, also, another cool thing, and people don't really think about this, most orchids are grown and augmented and dealt with based on their like aesthetic you know, so like people love the beauty of orchids and the awesome flowers and everything. Mm-hmm. But also, something that we all use on a almost daily basis, I would imagine, is vanilla. Oh. And vanilla is a species of orchid. No. Stop. Absolutely. Vanilla. What? Vanilla planifolia is a species of orchid, and it is where we all get all of our orchid from. Or all of our vanilla from, sorry. You are joking. <gasps> that is so cool. That it's is crazy. so cool. And it's like one of the only, it actually is the only known commercially grown and harvested orchid plant at oh this moment. But yeah, all of your Fun vanilla. Fun fact, vanilla is my very favorite smell of all time. Well, get a vanilla orchid. They're massive and they're fun, but you need a greenhouse. <laughs> Well, we, we talked briefly about renting greenhouse space together. So if we do that, I'll get a vanilla orchid. I would literally be so into that. So into it. <laughs> I, I like that you leaned into the mic to say that. I can't even tell you how into it I would be. <laughs> this is no longer casual, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I wanted to talk about is the parameters that a flower must meet to be considered an orchid. Because obviously if you have... 25,000 plus species of orchid there have to be some like parameters that must be met for a flower to be considered an orchid Mm -hmm. the most or not the most common but the only thing that is the one uniting factor behind orchids that every single orchid that is ever classified as an orchid has is a very unusual and unique reproductive strategy so hmm. most flowers have two re- have two reproductive organs, right? They have a pistil and a stamen. Mm-hmm. Some plants they're on separate plants, some plants they're together, but they're always separated as a unit. Whereas with mm-hmm. orchids, they're actually fused into a single structure commonly called a column. So the pistil and stamen exist together. And that's what is your that's the only unifying classification behind an orchid is that 
the pistol and st stamen have to be fused together into a column. And that's like your major classification of orchids. But they also share like some floral characteristics, you know? It's like most orchids, I don't know if anybody's familiar with orchids or not, but they'll have a cool like lip. Something like if you looked at it. They got a cool lip. You're probably thinking, oh, a bug could land there and that's how they would access the pollen. It's really like a landing mm. strip for bugs. And that's very common in orchids. Sometimes it's easier to see than in other cases. Like some have obvious massive lips and other orchids will have just tiny little things that classify as a lip. Mm. So are you talking about the part that like sticks out? It, it's not the petals. It's the part in the middle that sticks out that like looks like a little. Right. I mean, technically it is a highly modified petal. So it's not not a petal, but it doesn't exist in the other typically five petals that you see. It is a sixth petal that comes from gotcha. the column. Heard. But yeah, like I was saying, so the lip is another thing that you can use to tell sometimes, but orchids obviously are super diverse, so sometimes the lip's not as obvious as it should be. Like, think of lady slippers. They have a very pronounced lip, but it doesn't look the same as a phalaenopsis lip. You know, like totally. there's just a whole yeah. bunch of different things in there. But realistically, the only thing that you can ever use specifically to tell an orchid from another flower is the column, is the fused stigma and pistil. Other stigma. than that, it, or, yeah, sorry. Now I said stigma. Did I say stigma? What did I even say? Stamen. Yeah, you said stigma. I was like, oh God, my eyeball. <laughs> no, that's stigmata. Stigmata. <laughs> <laughs> We're great at this. But yeah, so the pistol and stamen being fused are the one way to tell specifically that you're looking at an orchid. And people are often like confused about orchids and I, I want to make it clear that Orchids are actually not a hard house plant to keep and grow. People often classify them in these like, in this scale of exotic and rare house plant that only the most experienced person can keep alive and get to rebloom. Mm -hmm. That's just really not true at all. That's how I was. I mean, like I bought my first orchid with you because I always thought they were super difficult and it's just been living its best life. And then I adopted a bunch of almost dead orchids and I was like, oh no, well, I mean, I guess they'll all die, but we'll see. And they're like living and thriving right now. Yeah, I mean, they're stunning. It's like one of the most stunning flowers you'll ever see. Oftentimes, like the the plant itself, the leaves and the greenery are also really cool looking, like a totally different plant than your average house plant. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I just really hate this whole like, it's almost like a gate kept community where people yeah. feel like just because orchids are a little bit more expensive and just because they have been regarded as this like symbol of high class and like superiority for mm. so long that you can't mm -hmm. take care of them easily, which just really isn't true. I mean, again, there are so many different kinds of orchids that there is literally 0% chance that you can't find an orchid that not only grows in your region outside, but you can also find orchids that will grow in your home in whatever region you live in with any amount of sunlight it can happen like there's just so many different kinds you were saying in a previous episode that it's 
more difficult to get an orchid to rebloom, though, correct? It can be. It, I mean, it is. It just kind of depends because most of them have a certain set of parameters under which they want to rebloom. So I was about to go into it anyways. There's so many different kinds of orchids, and Frankie and I both live in the southeast. So some of the orchids are going to have a harder time reblooming because some of them want very specific temperature differences to be able to rebloom. One of the ones that comes to my mind first is a cymbidium. It's also one of my favorites. They have these beautiful, almost like grass-like leaves that are super tall and super pretty. And they have these giant spikes. They're used often, more often in floral arrangements and displays. Yeah, I was going to say, I use them a lot as a yeah, florist. Super beautiful. And I, I have always loved them as a houseplant, too, because I think they have a very interesting look about them. Mm -hmm. And I love that. But they're very well suited to this area. So they can't necessarily live outside. They're not going to make it through a winter here. Like, But for them to rebloom, they want those nighttime temperatures to drop into like the mid-40s. So when you leave oh. those cymbidiums out in the fall time... That's when they're going to spike, and then you bring them back in for the winter, and then that's when they'll bloom. So, like, I, like orchids are awesome, but they have a very different... It just depends on what you have, and each of them have a different set of parameters that they need to rebloom, you know? So it just depends on what you, where you live and the house you live in. If you're growing them inside, will help you decide what orchid you should have and which ones will rebloom most easily for you, because... With 25,000 plus species, there's absolutely <laughs> no way we can't find one that'll grow in your house, you know? I don't know. I'm going for sunflowers, bro. It seems like they're the way of love place to be. I mean, facts, though. Number one. <laughs> I've never grown sunflowers. Number one with diversity. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was so surprised. I'll, I'll be surprised about that for forever. Yeah. I've never grown sunflowers, but I just was given a gift of a few sunflowers to dry and harvest the seeds from. Nice. So I'm going to try that, so... I've never personally grown sunflowers, but my grandma always did, and we would always have sunflower seeds all winter because she'd grow big patches of it, and then we'd all dry out the seeds. It was a great time. Nice. Have you ever played Minecraft? Uh, I couldn't get into it. I oh. couldn't do it. If I'm playing a game, I need like, I need like a story-driven game where I have purpose. I don't like, I don't like building things in games. Oh, I get it. Me, I'm like, I just want to make pretty houses and, like, collect flowers. <laughs> um, but anyway, Minecraft has really beautiful sunflowers. So. I love that, though. That's cute. <laughs> I'm going to have to go on just to try and figure out the sunflowers now. All right. Realistically, what I was going to talk about today, though, outside of, like, all the intricacies I could get into with orchids or some of the ones that you could actually grow in your house. Mm-hmm. And some of the conditions that they like when you're trying to grow them in your house. And I know that we're sticking mostly with epiphytes for this little series. I am going to speak briefly about a type of orchid that is not epiphytic, but we'll start. We'll start oh, with. I, well, I think your overarching is like orchids for a few episodes, right? right? Like you're going to do a couple episodes of orchids. Yeah, I think so. I think I'll have to to get it all in, but. Cool. So. Your most commonly seen orchid, like if you're talking about going to like big box plant shops or grocery stores or whatever, wherever you see orchids, are your moth orchids, and that's Phalaenopsis. Nice. Yes. 
Nailed it. Look at you go. You got it. <laughs> Nail on the head. That's it. That's the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> I guarantee Frankie knows that because I bitch about them all the time. Because they're literally my least favorite orchid just because you can see them everywhere. Yeah. And I'm. You talked about them in a previous episode and you called them pedestrians. Because they are. <laughs> I mean, call me a hipster if you must, but you see them everywhere. They're boring. But uh, they're right. also like one of the easiest to grow realistically and they're beautiful they are very pretty they have very pretty blooms i really like the ones that like get into some of the wilder colors and have really cool striations on them i love that um Mm -hmm. but realistically the reason that fowls have so much have such a high success rate in your home is because most of what you see at stores are hybridized is that a word yeah Mm -hmm. hybridized versions of actual species. Or hybrid? Hybrid versions? I guess I would just say hybrid versions. It sounded very fancy, though. I liked it. <laughs> right? I like the word hybridized. I just don't think it's real. <laughs> <laughs> it's real now. We made it happen. Uh, but anyways, most of what you see are going to be hybrid orchids. And they're just easier to grow because they've literally been built to be in like greenhouses and not in their natural settings, so it's just easier to grow them. The reason that fowls are often the more ideal in-home orchid is because they have a very thick coating around the roots called a velamen. And that velamen allows for the repotting of the plant to be a little bit clumsier. So like... Gotcha. So a lot of orchids, if you damage the roots when you're repotting, the orchid's going to be like, you can go get fucked now. I'm going to die. I hate you. This was stupid. Don't know why I ever lived with you. But your phalaenopsis are very chill about clumsy repottings, which is a lot of the reason that they've gotten so popular. It's because they don't die easily. They store water well. So if you underwater, it's okay. And if you overwater, it just kind of pours over them. They're just very amenable to whatever kind of horrors you could possibly put them through. Which as a... As a plant owner for many years i put a whole lot of plants through a whole lot of horror so <laughs> don't admit that <laughs> no we're perfect we treat our every single plant with perfect care we water on schedule every single time no matter what We've i mean never killed a plant <laughs> i do now but i didn't for a long time frankie it's, it's a learning curve it it's definitely a is a learning, learning curve. curve also i will always stick by the fact that you have to kill a couple plants to learn how to take care mm-hmm. of all of your plants. Like, it, that's just a real thing. I agree. So, some of my personal favorite orchids are the slipper-style orchids. And that's Fafiopodilum and Phragmopedium. If I said that wrong, guys, I'm sorry. That's the best I can do for you. But... Honestly, I think they're some of the easiest to grow in home also. They're not necessarily the showiest flowers. So if you're looking for like obscenely bright pops of color in your collection, they might not be the best option for you. But I think that they have such a cute little intrinsic look to them that I'm super about it. And I, lo- I just love them. And these are actually some of the only orchids that tend to be less epiphytic. And again, there are several different styles of orchids, even within these these two species. But most of them tend to be growing in the ground instead of in trees. 
Anyways, Paps and Frags are like my two favorite types of orchids. I think they're great. They, I love the slipper look. It's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I had like 15 other types of orchids to talk to you about today, but I'm going to skip those for another day. And I'll get I'll be a little bit more specific in the future about what I'm talking orchid about. Orchid series. Orchid series. But I do want to take just a moment to talk about my absolute favorite orchid, one that I don't have in my collection right now because I don't have a greenhouse and it's sad to me, but whatever. It's a Japanese orchid and it's called Neophonicia falcata. Oh, you talked about her in the last mini episode. Yeah, it's one of my fucking favorites. It's got such a rich history. Literally, entire estates have been gifted to Japanese aristocracy because they've had a Neophonicia orchid that was so beautiful. <gasps> like, the history is obscene. Ooh. So, if you're talking, like, if, when you look at Japan, you're talking about the Edo period in Japan, which is about 400 years ago, not like a crazy long time ago. There was this species of orchid, the Neophonicia, that garnered, like, this huge amount of reverence and people were like trying to show off like their own specimens of this plant and so they've been known as everything from obviously neophonicia falcata which is their latin name to samurai orchids and they were so esteemed that nobody but the ruling class in the edo period of japan were allowed to own them whoa that's how cool they were. And if you were to, if you decided to go to some shogun's estate and look at his esteemed Neophonicia specimen, you would literally be looking at it through a gate, like through a mesh guard, like a mesh guard. Like a zoo? <laughs> literally, literally, but like around the plant. And they were, like, usually, like, made of gold or silver and, like, these really ornate mesh guards. And they would require you to put a piece of fabric over your face so that you <laughs> could not even breathe on their plants. Because you were not allowed to, like, no, like, could not. This is you when you're rich, by the way. Oh, I mean, you know, you don't <laughs> got to call me out like that, but you're probably right. <laughs> probably right. Do not breathe on the plants. Thank you very much. <laughs> But honestly, the thing about the Neophonicia falcata is they do have a really pretty bloom. They have, like, these really beautiful white flowers, typically. I mean, they range a little bit, but they're mostly white flowers. But people love this plant so much, not because of its flowers, but because of the variants it had in its actual leaves. So there's everything from, like, most orchids you're not going to find. Like, I have a Phalaenopsis that is has a variegated leaf it doesn't exist it's not real that doesn't happen but with neophonicia falcata you have everything from variegated leaves to mosaic leaves to all kinds of different looks oh i'm googling it right now and i spelled it completely wrong the first time but the second time i figured it out it is so beautiful it is so cool. It's like so delicate and it has these like long tails. Yeah, the flower is like white and has a really pretty long uh like where the where the column is it has a very long 
I don't know the word for it. I'm sorry. I'm struggling. Throat. throat? We'll just go with throat. <laughs> <laughs> long, a very long, they have a very long throat. Yeah, the leaves are really cool. It looks like they like stack on top of each other in kind of a. They do, cool and they they like. It's also a bandaceous orchid, which is like my nemesis in the orchid world because you can't you just can't grow them outside of a greenhouse, in my opinion. But mm. so beautiful. The name itself, well, not not Neophytnisha vacata, but they were commonly called Furan, which is wind orchid in Japanese. Oh. And then the most beautiful or unusual of the Furan were, were called Fukiran, which translates as rich and noble orchids. Because, I mean, again, they were historically only owned by samurai and people of similar ranks. Literally, this plant has over 2,200 varieties described. Wow. And they're all native to Japan. They don't, Neophonesia volcata doesn't grow anywhere but Japan. But they literally have dwarf sized growths that measure literally a bit less than an inch across, all the way to what they call tiger leaves, which spread over seven inches. So they go from like smaller than an inch to over half a foot cool. in size. Have you ever seen one in person? Oh, I used to own one back when I owned a bunch of orchids. It was one of my favorites. Oh, really? We also saw them when you and I went together for the orchid show. We There was a whole station set up there with just Neophonesia orchids. It kind of sucked, though, because they were just like... They weren't in bloom yet, and I'm all about instant gratification, so that yeah. wasn't happening because it wasn't the right time of year. Yeah. And they were obscenely expensive when we were looking at them. They're like, like the smallest plants were like 85 plus dollars, so I just wasn't into it. But, but also, if you have any orchid questions, feel free to reach out to us. We'll give you all the information about reaching out to us in whatever way you feel best at the very end of the episode. We always love hearing from you guys yes oh it's been so nice too getting emails from y'all and like there have been so many nice twitter messages i it makes my day every single time so anyways <laughs> thank you so much for listening to us thank you for this episode we will continue next week with more epiphytes more orchids um you can follow us on instagram at propagated podcasts you can follow us at twitter at propagated pod you can follow us or email us and tell us all about all of your plants and what you're so proud of at propagated podcast at gmail.com and that is that thank you so much for joining us we love you so much thanks guys this is <laughs> <Goodbye>. <laughs>